0: Hello, Health Investor. Welcome to another episode of the Health Investment Podcast. Today, you're going to hear from Carrie Anderson. Having personally struggled with binge eating and weight stigma, Carrie's professional career is driven by a personal passion. In her 30 years of working with eating disorders, Carrie's recent work has been focused on binge eating disorder. Her unique ability to create a safe, non judgmental, and healing environment makes her, as patients often state, someone who gets it. Her most recent book and memoir, Food, Body, and Love, describes a love-based program for healing your relationship with food and your body. In the episode, Carrie shares how to harness your nervous system to avoid stress eating, how harm reduction eating reduces cravings, how to stop mindlessly eating while watching television, and more. If you're liking this podcast, I'd be so grateful if you'd write a review and share it with a friend. Enjoy the episode. Brooke Simonson, Certified Nutrition Coach and your host of the Health Investment Podcast. If you're ready to look and feel your best without any confusion, frustration, or stress, you're in the right place. Each week, I interview experts and share no-nonsense, research-backed tips so that you can finally lose weight for good, eat healthy long-term, have the high energy you crave, and feel like a million bucks. I'm so happy you're here with me today. Don't forget to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Hi, Carrie. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Health Investment Podcast.
1: Hi, thank you for inviting me. I'm really excited about this.
0: I'm excited too, especially now that we figured out we have Arizona in common. Right. <laughs> We, I'm from Arizona. You live in Arizona. It's, it's a whole thing. I don't think, I think I've interviewed maybe one other person on the podcast who lives in Arizona. So Mm -hmm. very exciting. Yes. (laughs) Can you start off by telling us a bit about your background and specifically what led you to become a counselor and to focus specifically on disordered eating?
1: Right. Well, my own personal journey, um, I was in the, um, health and fitness field. Um, basically I was uh, working with nutrition and exercise physiology in my first degree because I was obsessed with food and exercise because I had an eating disorder. And so when I went into recovery for my eating disorder, I got interested in psychology and then from there, um, Um, I went right into an internship with an eating disorder treatment uh, center, and then I've been doing it ever since. It's been 33 years now that I've been working in this space. Interestingly, though, um, since I got my doctorate in uh, behavioral health, which has a lot of overlap with physical health, um, um, I'm more moving back to my roots in terms of uh, health and wellness coaching and um Uh, Because I really believe that you can't separate the mind and the body. Um, They go together. So Mm -hmm.
0: for sure. What would you say is wrong with more traditional approaches to weight loss?
1: Well, I believe that they're fear based. Mm. And anytime that um, we fear food, we we fear our bodies or lack body trust it really sets us up for this long lifetime battle. And I hear people use that kind of language. It's like battle of the bulge, or um, I've got to fight my body. I'm going to kind of like get it. I'm going to overcome my unruly body. Or I, I think that anytime it's a fear or protection or a fight language, it really increases our, um, and jacks up our nervous system in terms of a uh, a sympathetic fight flight type of behavior and and any time that our body is in these hyper vigilant or hyper aroused states we're always looking for ways to get ourselves calmed down especially if we're not really aware of how to calm ourselves down and um and we will turn to uh, when our body is in a frightened state, and I use that globally, not, I, not only from the autonomic nervous system, a frightened state like anxiety, or um, even a fear state, a depression is a fear state, it's a collapse, nervous system collapse, uh, because I just can't anymore, I'm overwhelmed. And so I'm just going to, to collapse and hide a little bit. But anytime that we're in those states, um, we all I also see our bodies from a, a physical health perspective when we have inflammation, right? And our bodies are inflamed in some way, which, which might uh, create all of our disease states or autoimmune problems and whatnot. I see the body in a fearful and a fight state So what happens is we naturally will look to try to find safety. And from a perspective of the nervous system and safety, food is a regulator. And food also can replace people as a regulator. And that's why I'm so interested in how the nervous system and eating behavior go together. I subscribed to something called the polyvagal theory. And the polyvagal theory is the idea that we were built and meant to use co-regulation with others, attachment and bonding to others in a safe space in order to calm our nervous system. So we actually co-regulate one another, but when somebody's nervous system is in a protective mode, it doesn't want to connect with others because others feel dangerous. And in those instances, we know that the very same neural pathways that we use to communicate and regulate with people is the same neural pathways um, that we use when we ingest food. So it's the same cranial nerves and, and process that actually moves us into a parasympathetic rest and digest system. And so food is safety and calm from just a primal survival perspective, because besides air and water, food, food is our source of life. Hmm. It's our life force. And so when we don't feel like we're getting enough food or we're not getting enough regulation with people, we tend to to form relationship with food and use it as our primary regulator. Hmm. And a lot of people don't understand that this is just a nervous system thing. It's not being weak willed or uh, like I, I don't have any willpower or anything In fact the more that somebody deprives themselves of food like rest, really restrictive diets and um what we'll find is that we actually will overcompensate out of fear or food insecurity and will overeat in order for the body to say okay i'm good i'm good right and so we think that oh i, I can't control myself with food but the The body is just trying to feel better and to feel safe. And so if we can frame it like that, it takes all the judgment and shame out of it.
0: Uh So the body is trying to feel good and safe and connected to something. And Mm -hmm. so the connection might be to the food.
1: Yeah. In relationship. I mean, you know, I mean, I don't think we're too far off when we say that um, food is my best friend food is my lover or food is my nemesis. I mean, sometimes that relationship can be, you know, a love hate, um, at, at, the same time, because when we, um, when we connect and, um, chew our food ingest and whatnot, we're actually, it's all tied, um, to the vagus nerve, which is the nerve that puts on the brakes and calms our body down into, um, a regulatory calm and safe state. And so we'll use food in order to uh, calm down instead of using, let's say, conversation with a person, which would use the same neural pathways in terms of talking with our mouth, using our tongue, gestures, swallowing the face-to-face sensory experience. We have a sensory experience with food that use the same processes and they both will calm the body down. Mm-hmm. So sometimes for some people, especially people that might even have kind of a breach in safety with people, maybe there was some trauma background or there was some um, uh, detachment or um, loss or, or a lack of trust, food is a lot safer and does the same thing. Mm hmm.
0: What do you do if you do have some type of trauma background and lack of trust and food is your safe option? Mm-hmm. How do you break out of that?
1: Yeah, I think first is, and, and it kind of goes together with with that, you know, the fear aspect and um, battle with the body. The first thing is to befriend the body, right? And to look at it as an ally and a source of wisdom and, and information, So if you can then have more, we call it interoceptive awareness of when your body starts to get unsafe and go into protection mode, then you can recognize that and you can start to work with your body. We Even though it's an autonomic nervous system, we do have influence over it through compassionate befriending and different calming activities as we calm the body um, it can feel safer and then we also start us uh, very slowly of finding safe people in our life and practicing with those individuals until we can start to rewire our nervous system to not be so if you will sensitive and um, and sensitive, not in a negative or derogatory, meaning that it's actually really trying to save our life. It's being mm-hmm. really protective. Okay. So it's trying to help us. So we might say, thank you. Thank you for warning me that this could be an unsafe situation. And yet this isn't, this is safe and and we're going to be fine. Right. And so let's just calm down and um, let me do some deep breathing, diaphragmatic breathing. let me think about things that are, are that bring me a feeling of calm and safety. maybe think about love and gratitude, which actually changed the brain chemistry to actually be more open and less protective and then um, and then have start slowly increasing um the intimacy level in terms of with other people in terms of things that we share the closeness and proximity that we have hmm. and so we can actually we can train the neural pathways and what we call neuroception and neuroception is just that sixth sense of this person is dangerous or this person is safe. Hmm. Um, or I'm entering into a dangerous situation. And so that that sixth sense is really protective of us, but sometimes it hijacks us and it'll tell us a a situation is not safe when it's very safe. And so we have to then reassure, befriend and say, okay, let's just step a little bit closer. We're going to be fine. And then the more Um, The more that that it has these experiences that are safe, then it starts to rewire itself um, and and not be as protective.
0: What if someone's listening and they don't relate to kind of the trauma of the past Mm -hmm. and they feel like they have quite a few really strong relationships they like their job. They actually feel like they're connected so well, but they Mm -hmm. still think, oh, I might be turning to food also for a connection. Mm -hmm. What does that person do if it's like, I don't even, I don't feel like I want to connect with people even more, if that makes sense. Like I'm already very connected.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think that there, that it's interesting because I think we then are starting to fall into, um, a brain habit. Oh, Okay.
0: I wanna take a quick break from the episode to tell you about a company I've been impressed by for years. Thrive Market is an online shopping platform that offers thousands of products at 25 to 50% off retail prices. For just $60 a year, you get access to a wide variety of premium pantry staples, supplements, beauty products, and home goods at unbeatable prices. To put things in perspective, I save about $20 to $30 per shipment, which means my annual membership fee pays for itself after just two orders. My favorite part about Thrive Market is that for every paid membership, they donate a membership to a low-income family, veteran, or teacher. So not only do you save money on your purchases, but you also make healthy products accessible to everyone. To read my full Thrive Market review, steal my shopping list of over 150 items, and save additional money on your first order, visit thehealthinvestment.com slash Thrive Market, or just click through the link in the show notes. Now, back to the episode.
1: And, um, and those pathways are, uh, are also um, very powerful. For instance, Many, many of us, and I was—it was true of me. We grew up in um, a food culture um, and a body culture where um, there were certain rules about how how you eat in front of others, and how much you eat, and um, and and your corresponding body size, and what's acceptable and what's not. So we learned to go underground early. In fact, many of the women that I work with or people that I work with, some of their earliest memories are sneaking and hiding treats or food and going into a safe place alone and eating it. And we do that out of protection of our own uh, shame. Um, And it's interesting because even really early, six and eight years old, people are doing this. And I wonder... How do we, how do we know that was a shameful thing is to mm-hmm. eat that? Why are we sneaking it? And probably because somebody in our environment had some sort of food rules about what foods were okay to eat and what foods weren't. And the, the, some foods are meant for special and you can't just have them anytime you want. And and I'm not saying that having boundaries in our kitchens and raising our kids aren't, aren't good, um, We have to have boundaries around food. At the same time, we may have learned to hide food. So interestingly, somebody in their attitudes, for instance, might go out to happy hour or to a party or whatnot. And and people know them to be maybe on a diet or they have histories of. And so they behave in a certain manner socially. So they go out and they eat one way. But the whole time their brain is thinking, um, I want, I want, I want. And so then they might stop on the way home, get what they want or, and then take it home and then eat it in a different manner. So a lot of, and so that's a relationship that has been created through a habit loop, um, that certain foods, um, I eat by myself um, alone. And so therefore that might even provoke them to restrict those types of foods to only eating in private and alone. And so then, uh, what, so what happens is that there's this mindset that, um, that I have to go underground and and in the dark Hmm. on this. And, and so the best practice for that is start eating those foods, more openly. In fact, I always say there is a place for all treats. I, I believe that that um, all foods are permissible, um, but not are all beneficial. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not a proponent of all foods fit all the time at all. Right. I think all foods fit some of the time. and But those foods actually, from a healing perspective, that are what we consider the treats or those treats that we used to eat underground or in the dark, Right um, and alone, it just perpetuates the shame cycle with those foods. So I always say those are the foods that we eat in connection with others. We eat it mindfully and joyfully, making memories. Right, right? and so the context of how we eat certain foods is really important too to try to fight against that 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 f- fear. Right. That's a Again, that's one of the issues is that I'm afraid of how people will respond to me if I eat this food. And our society really is pretty fat phobic. I mean, it's interesting. I watch things go on is that a really thin person can have a, a double scoop ice cream and nobody thinks a minute of it. But somebody that's over that's overweight and I'm using quotes, and you can't see me. <laughs> um, uh you know, then all of a sudden we have, do they really need that? Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have, I have a lot of my clients, they feel really bad, um, about what they put in their grocery cart because they say that if I have chips, I'm, I'm too fat to buy chips where somebody else could buy chips, you know? I mean, and this is the, this is what's wrong is our society has created, um, fear in people Um, you know, afraid to go to the doctor's office for fear, I'm going to be scolded. um, uh, And told once again, like, I don't know, right? You know, it's like, Oh, I think you should go on Weight Watchers, or I think you should do this or whatever. And they go, like, I never thought of that.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Right? I mean, we're just um, so anyway, it's it's like we, we are driven underground, we're driven in fear, and we and, and shame creates these cycles of repetition.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so even if we don't have a trauma background, we could actually be traumatized by just the weight bias and our society and how how the, the rules, that, different rules that they have for people with different bodies.
0: Right. If someone knows they're in this kind of cycle of turning to food. If they've heard you talking, they're like, wow, this is me. I definitely do this. Mm -hmm. Turning to food, either eating certain things in private or Mm -hmm. it's a stressful day and food is the outlet at the end of the day, using it for some type of connection or from clients. I hear a lot boredom eating of kind of I'm bored. I don't know what else to do. I'm going to eat. Mm -hmm. What are some tangible strategies that people can start to take to kind of break these habit loops or find more connection either within themselves or with others to break out of turning to food first?
1: Mm -hmm. Well, habit loops, a pretty simple way in terms of changing neural pathways in terms of habit loops. And so much of what we do is habit pairing. Um, And what I mean by habit pairing is, um, I have the habit of blank doing this when I. Mm. right? So I have the habit of eating popcorn when I go to the movies. Okay? So that's an example of a, of a habit loop, right? So there's always there's like a, a trigger or cue. Um, um, and then there's there's this pathway of craving. Right. And then the craving leads to a behavior um, and then we get a reward. Okay, so that's just the general. And so the from from a perspective of breaking a habit loop, we have to just look at it scientifically instead of we, we have to take the judgment out of it altogether. It's like so our brain got caught in this habit. Okay, and so recognizing the habit and then knowing making what we're doing a habit that we want to, uh, to stop doing, we have to make it really, really hard to do it.
0: Hmm.
1: And if we want to create a habit that we want to keep start doing and keep doing it, then we have to make it really, really easy. (laughs) So those are just the, the basic laws of breaking habits and starting habits. And I mean, there's a lot more, um, my, my latest workbook has a whole chapter on, on habits, but, um, and how to, um, to shape them in the direction that you'd like them to go. But first of all, kind of knowing what it is that, that you want and how, how you're going to, to shape new behavior. And the other thing is when we're, when we're approaching this sort of thing, We have to understand the power uh, of the brain and the want and the crave, okay? And so one of the things, I don't think sometimes we understand that our brain's job is to make things as easy and efficient as possible. And our brain's job is to learn. And that's what dopamine really is. People think of dopamine as the pleasure part of our brain, the reward center, but dopamine actually is a learning platform. And what it means is that I'm going to actually have you drawn toward in a craving and this, this pull to get you to do the behavior I want you to do. So it pulls you along the neural pathway toward the behavior. So it used to be, for instance, that you'd get the reward, um, let's say, let's just take the popcorn thing at the movies to get the reward of having popcorn enjoyable while you're watching the movie. But now, okay, what happens is, is let's say that you, your spouse mentions that you want to go to a movie and all your brain can think about is getting the popcorn, go to the movie, get the popcorn. And so you are having this relentless craving to get the popcorn. Okay? With just the cue or trigger of let's go to a movie. And so we're not even thinking about the movie anymore. Right? We just want to go so we can have the big thing of popcorn. So that's it would be an would be an example. So don't underestimate the power of the craving. So when it comes to um helping us with cravings in general, when we're stressed, when I'm stressed, I crave uh, carbohydrates when I get home, when I'm, um, when I know I'm going to be alone and my partner is going to be not coming home, you know, at the regular time and I'm going to have time by myself. That's a trigger of opportunity. So then the trigger of opportunity, all of a sudden we get these huge cravings for an opportunity to eat something and a lot of it that we wouldn't normally have because no one will know. But the craving is almost like a drug in the sense that I'm going to get the goods. (laughs) I'm going to bring the goods home. I'm going to eat the goods quickly. And then I'm going to get rid of all evidence. Hmm. Okay. And so cravings are something that we can shape um, by just taking care of our brain chemistry. For instance, when it comes to food, we know that certain ways of eating and certain types of food ramp up our cravings. And cravings come from not just the dopamine and the habit craving from the brain, but cravings actually come from our gut microbiome. Because if we eat lots of a certain type of food, If we eat lots of simple sugars or or carbohydrates or fast food, we grow a type of bacteria in our gut that craves those types of foods. So it will then send signals from our gut brain axis, which is the vagus nerve, and communicate up to our brain to crave those things. The other thing that happens is in our, um, our hormone balance in terms of glu- how glucose and insulin react in the body after we eat a meal, we know that if we eat a high-carbohydrate meal that's not balanced with other macronutrients, we know that, the, that our glucose will spike and it will prompt our insulin to come in, drop our blood sugar down quickly... And then what happens is when our blood sugar is low, we get agitated, anxious, and we crave more of the same more sugar. So we get into this roller coaster. So what I typically put people on is something called a harm reduction form of eating.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. What that is, is a, a way of eating to make the body feel safe. And that is, it's not going to get a really low blood sugar by not eating enough. Um, And essentially, if we don't eat enough and we starve throughout the day, or we go on like, I mean, some people can handle intermittent fasting and other people can't. It depends on how low their blood sugar gets, or if they exercise in the morning or they don't. I personally can't intermittent fast because after I have a hard workout, I have to replenish or I get, you know, deaf and dumb and (laughs) pass. out. (laughs) And so um, so I can't wait till 11 to eat. Are you kidding me? So um, but my body gets anxious it makes it feel unsafe if I do that. Mm. And so what harm reduction eating would be would to be eat regularly and consistently and to eat balanced in a way that my macronutrients are all balanced that I don't eat twice or three or four times more carbohydrates than I eat protein or are my fats so that my blood sugar is slow um, to... I mean, when I digest, my blood sugar doesn't spike and it, 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 it keeps me even and keeps my body feeling safe. Because if it's not, if we have these surges of high blood sugar, low blood sugar, the body gets afraid and says, what the heck's going on? And we get anxious. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Um, I would also encourage people to um, to have a really, like I said, um, uh, a healthy respect for treats. And I don't think that we should be completely abstinent from treats because then I think that we over overdo it when we do get into them. Um, but that we that we do it mindfully, joyfully, with others, making memories. And then the foods that we eat on our own are always consistent and balanced and and whole food um, uh, type. So it has it's slow to metabolize and high fiber because we want to build a gut microbiome, um, a gut bacteria that um, that is safe. And it's the good type of bacteria that wants to keep our, bo- our body in equilibrium and it doesn't create cravings. Mm-hmm. Um, And so, so these, these other, these, these mechanisms mechanisms (laughs) in our body, such as our, our, our pleasure center, um, our hormone balance um, that includes um, leptin and ghrelin in terms of our hunger and fullness um, and also um, our insulin levels and blood sugar, as well as our gut. If we keep our body feeling safe, then we're going to decrease our cravings and we're just going to be very, our our habit is really that food. I always say to people, we need to have pleasure in our eating, but for the most part, right, it needs to be the white noise in our life so that our whole life and what we're doing and the people and everything that we do is a symphony. And so many times the food is like the symphony and, um, uh, and, and and yet, it really is the foundation for which we live our life. Mm-hmm. It's it's the white noise, and and that there's not so much emotion and drama over it. Um, it's just it, it's it's kind of like the investment. It's like the bank account mm-hmm. that we we do things for our health, um, whether it be the way in which we we eat, the way that we move our body, the way that we do stress management the way that we manage our um, uh, the input in our life, right? And then um, so, that, so that we're in a calm state all the time, as much as we can. And when we aren't calm and drama comes along, we have this great foundation that we can fall on, that we can endure and get through these difficult times. Mm-hmm yeah, I mean, of course, the pandemic was just it blew everybody. It blew yeah. everybody's plans up. And that's why we got so dysregulated as a world uh, during that time, right? We were too afraid. Yeah. fear fear messes everything up,
0: yeah. Outside of hosting this podcast, I work as a nutrition coach specializing in evidence-based sustainable weight loss. If you're ready to stop yo-yo dieting and start living a healthy, active lifestyle you're proud of, I'd love to work with you in one of my programs. Unlike restrictive, one-size-fits-all diets that only provide short-term results, I help you adopt science-backed nutrition and lifestyle habits that work for your unique likes, dislikes, and time constraints so you can lose weight permanently, have high energy throughout the day, feel completely in control of cravings and stay consistent long-term. To learn more, visit thehealthinvestment.com or follow me on Instagram and TikTok at thehealthinvestment. I love your example of popcorn at the movies and how one is kind of a trigger for something else. I was just talking to a client this week about the same kind of instance of snacking at night. And she identified TV is really the trigger for her to cause Mm -hmm. the snacking. Mm -hmm. And so we were talking about that, but then I would be curious to hear your thoughts. I mean, to break that, does that mean removing TV from your evening portion of the night? If that's something you really enjoy, because that's the trigger for the cravings, or does it mean like, is there another way to break that habit loop without completely getting rid of watching your favorite shows at night? What, what does that person do if it's like a nightly basis?
1: yeah that's that's the the most common pairing of a habit that there is yeah is is television and eating and there's a lot of different reasons why we do that because most of the time that's our downtime. that's the time we're transitioning from maybe a high stress to kind of winding our bodies down and getting it calm so that we can get to sleep um so a lot to do with transition as well um It depends on how uh, anxious your body gets um, when you start to break up the habit. Hmm. Now, another thing that the the body plays a trick on us is that when we stop doing a habit that it really likes, it will actually drop out and lower our uh, dopamine and create dysphoria, anxiety, and pain. So that's why when we stop doing something that's a real strong habit, it makes us really cranky and um, is very, very uncomfortable. In fact, I've even suggested that people before plate their food, eat their food at the table, don't turn on the television um, and whatnot. And they actually will look at me like deer in the headlights. (laughs) Like, I mean, they almost go into a panic attack, the idea that they can't eat in front of the TV. Okay. Okay. Um, That they have to actually pick up their plate and take it and put it, you know, um, at the kitchen table. And so for those folks, right, the change needs to go slower because it's going to induce more fear and panic um, in them. So what I might do is say, okay, you can sit at the table and eat. So you're trying to connect that pair table and eating. um, And also you can in the view of the television. Okay, Um, And then. you know, for others that don't have such fear, what I might do is um, help them to create other rituals of calming themselves down. So they they've made that transition. They're they're fed right um, before they turn on the TV, so there's not that fear of not getting enough food, and their body's like hungry. Or and then do another transition, maybe go into a place I would call their sanctuary um, that's full of all these sensory calming things. Listen to some music or um, calm their body and transition their body and get them prepared for for sleep some other way. Okay, and then right, you've broken that um, uh, sometimes we just never stop eating dinner right i mean because what happens is i don't want the pleasure to stop so i eat something then i go to the couch and i get up and get something else and then i go to the couch and then i eat get something else but you have to have that stop because it takes about 20 minutes or more anyway for our body to feel satisfied so what i would do is that i would say that the stop isn't eat and watch tv it doesn't mean you can't watch tv but we have to do it in a different context mm-hmm. so we eat um, then we take 20 or 30 minutes and we go take a bath, wash your face, get ready for, you know, whatever for the rest of the evening, calm ourselves down through other methods, maybe go for a walk um, to help regulate and then come back when the cravings has, aren't so strong of continuing to eat and come back and watch TV and then maybe have something like a, um, a, a an activity to keep your hands hands busy because some people are just ADHD Mm -hmm. and some people just can't just sit still and just watch TV, right? It's just their brain needs more stimulation. And so that would mean like maybe have a handheld game that they can watch or whether it be writing thank you notes, what a concept actually writing, (laughs) you know, um, or maybe, um, knitting or doing some sort of craft, um, so that they've busied their hands, um, yeah. and they're making an another association that's a little bit more positive. Uh-huh. When I sit down and watch TV, then I do this.
0: Right. Yeah. I was also thinking the other day, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. That when clients will use really loaded terms, like we'll use the TV eating example. So they'll say something like, "When I watch TV at night, I binge," mm-hmm. or when I watch TV at night, I eat sugar because I'm addicted to sugar. And I don't want to at all diminish something like binge eating disorder. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not what I'm talking about. It's when someone is has this habit loop of snacking while watching TV that's not binge eating disorder, but they're using the term binge or addicted. And I feel like these are really powerful words. Mm-hmm. And it's it seems to me harder to break out of a habit if you think you know, I binge or I'm addicted to sugar and I, there's nothing really I can do about it. And I'd love to hear your thoughts about using that type of language. And if there's a way we can talk to ourselves differently, that's less kind of emotionally charged.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Mindset is everything. I think that, um, even if somebody has a diagnosis of binge eating disorder, I don't like them to ever say, um, I'm a binge eater because that's an identity
0: Mm -hmm.
1: or let's say, and it is, you know, food addiction is real, um, on some level about a third of all people with binge eating disorder actually have a form of food addiction. Um, and there are some people that don't have binge eating that have food addiction. So I'm not trying to say that these, I think sometimes it's a relief to people to hear that, mm, you know, I, ha- th- th- there's a name for this, mm-hmm. but as identity, absolutely not. And I think that identity based um, habits are really important, meaning positive. So if you want to be, if you want to continue to be a binge eater, just call yourself a binge eater, because then you'll just keep binge eating. <laughs> mm-hmm. If you, if you say I'm addicted to food, then that's your identity. You'll be addicted to food. I mean, the only way that you can one of the things that empowered me in my own recovery, because I come from an athletic background, is that I just I had to source myself as an athlete hmm. and I took on an athlete uh, identity. And what do athletes do? They care for their body. They fuel themselves right in a way that that is um, is going for performance and. Um, you know, they, they care for the body and they train. And so everything was about, I want to help my body, not tear it down. Mm. i want to care for my body. I don't want to hurt it. Right. And so that identity helped me out of my own eating disorder because I had to keep sourcing. What does somebody that's an athlete do? Am I doing that? Do I have a positive relationship with food in terms of eat to win? Um, uh, and, and then the same thing, I mean, somebody, I also am a writer, of course, and so and said, you know, if you're going to be a good writer, you have to have the identity of a writer. What do writers do? Well, they write every day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so whoever you want to be, if you want to be somebody that doesn't, so always go on the positive. If you want to be somebody that... Um, I'm mindful in the way that I make choices for my food. I'm, I'm a healthful eater or I'm a, then then take that identity and and behave in that w- manner. Be her. I used to always say, I had a saying of, uh, what do you want to, you know, as a result of losing weight. Okay, people always come to you, so I want to lose weight. Um, well, what about that? When you lose weight, tell me, Tell me about her, the person yes. that's lost weight in you. Tell me about her. Well, I see myself being clearer and thinking. I see myself being more active. Um, I'd like to go, you know, have fun shopping. I don't know. I mean, all these different, I want to be healthier. I want to be able to to get down on the floor and play with my grandkids um, and be able to get up, right? I want to be mobile for my retirement, all these things. And I said, so I what I'll do is I say, well, be her, Mm-hmm. What do you mean be her? Now, start doing the things that you would do if you had lost the weight. Because you weight is an outcome. Mm -hmm. You don't have, that's a goal, but you don't have control over that. All you have control over is the way you think and the way that you behave day in and day out in these small incremental changes. And, and the more that you pivot toward being her or being him, right? The more that you pivot in that direction, and sometimes you won't, you'll pivot this way, and then you pivot the, the way that you, the valued direction that you want to go, you're going to end up there, right? But if you sit around and, and stew and fight your body about getting there, right? Just because the things that you do every day in your actions and your tactics are the things that are going to get you where you want to go. And you have to think that way. So that's how I would, I I believe very much in the power of mindset. There's some fascinating studies on mindset.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I'm sure you know James Clear, who wrote Atomic Habits. So he has a whole piece on right adopting the identity of the person you want to become and identity based behavior change. And so that's, that's cool. And I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up. One of the final questions I ask each of my guests, and you know, you've kind of touched on this throughout, but in your opinion, what does it mean to make the health investment? Right.
1: Well, I mean, I think with a health investment is, is that what I think about my retirement or investment accounts is I can't forget that a little bit, Goes a long ways, and compound, compounding um, outcomes and dividends, right? <laughs> so, if we're going to use financial terms, it's like it's like what what kind of care investment are you going to to do today and the next day and the next day that will have compounding dividends for your outcome later? Because mm. no one starts investing. Um, I mean, a lot of people don't start investing until later in life and when they can start earlier. And that's the same with health is like, you know, this is something that we can't take for granted is that we have to make these investments in it. If we want the outcome, meaning disease free or, um, you know, have a lifestyle uh, of um, mobility when we're older Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so many people aren't long term thinking so many people are just short-term right now pleasure, um, and that's really kind of the the failure of our society. Mm-hmm. Think? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, in the senses that we don't we don't look at at things as an investment,
0: right? Yeah. Where can listeners follow and find you?
1: Well, I'm pretty easy to find. My website is myeatingdoctor.com. So M Y. The word eating, E A T I N G, and doctor spelled out, D O C T O com. So, my eating doctor.com. Also, thing is, check out my books. Um, my book, Food, Body, and Love, is on, um, but the greatest of these is Love, is on Amazon. And I have a companion workbook that operationalizes all of this from mindset to, to habits to harm reduction eating. Um, all the things I've talked about today, um, and the nervous system, it goes into kind of a primer on, uh, polyvagal and you can find me, you can just look me up as an author on Amazon, Dr. Carrie Anderson, or, um, you can look it up by food, body, and love, and you should find it.
0: Awesome. Well, I'll put links to both of those places into the show notes so that they're easily clickable. And I just want to thank you so much today. Wow. What, what valuable information I know. I learned a lot. I'm sure my audience did as well. And we're all grateful for your time. Thank you so much for having me. Well, that's all for today. Thanks again for joining me here on the Health Investment Podcast. I'm so grateful for each and every one of my listeners. On your way out, remember to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. See you next week. All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. Always consult a qualified health provider with any questions regarding a medical condition and before making changes to your diet, lifestyle, and or exercise programs.